Modern Pleasure Podcast is sponsored by Adam and Eve. Lean in to your sexual curiosities. Are you ready? Because it's about to get real. Modern Pleasure answers the questions about sex that you've always wanted to ask, but didn't. Every couple has to negotiate where their boundaries are and and what cultivates jealousy. But it really usually comes back to the person's sense of security or insecurity. We feel threatened when our, our partner flirts with someone else. But it also, you have to ask yourself if I'm flirting from a place of professionalism, right, like Savannah, or if I'm flirting from a place just because I'm being friendly and charismatic, arousing erotic energy, but I'm not really crossing that line versus really crossing that line, flirting that felt like too much, kind of feel energetically yuck. And and that doesn't even fill my cup. I just sort of get, I feel aversion. Welcome back to Modern Pleasure. Hi, Dr. Jenny. Hi, Kim. Hi, Savannah. Hi. Savannah's going to join us through the whole uh, episode today, so we've got a lot to talk about. Um, I I did have a really good girls' weekend getaway. I'm just now recovering. It took me three days (laughs) for my friend's birthday party to Palm Springs. A lot of fun. About eight of us went. And I want to get into some of the discussions that we had, a lot of them surrounding our little podcast and what some of them had to say. And there were a lot of talk about the products that we discussed from Adam and Eve during the Permission for Pleasure episode, especially that pillow. (laughs) Everyone loves the pillow. So if you're curious about that pillow and some other products we might have explored in our last couple of episodes then you must go to adamandeve.com and just for being a Modern Pleasure Podcast listener, they're going to give you 50% off almost any one item. So go find that pillow or whatever you might discover on their website. You also get 10 free gifts and free shipping and they and they are also going to give you uh, um, that discreet shipping so nobody's going to know. And uh, they might just get a lot of ton, ton of orders for those pillows. What do you think? I mean, I'm telling you, it was the topic of our conversation multiple times over the weekend. So use that code MODERN, get 50% off almost any one item, those 10 free gifts, free shipping, and find out what more than 20 million people already know about this fantastic company. And check out their story if you have the chance. It's super cool. I really love to dive into that someday. Um, definitely think... Uh, it's worth looking into for sure. Um, so uh, just, I know we've got this topic today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more, uh, kind of piggyback on what we did last time. And we're going to go into sex and relationships uh, out of the box sort of uh, relationships and sex in, in, in that realm. Um, but I always like to recap because I'll tell you what. Since we've been doing this podcast, it seems like I have more people coming out of the woodwork. By the way, we are so close to a thousand downloads. Woohoo! Good job, everybody. But so people are listening. And I actually had a guy text me that I used to work with that was like, I am listening to your podcast. This is amazing stuff. He just remarried. So he's he's just married. And he says, I'm definitely going to send this link to my wife. (laughs) And I thought, oh, that is awesome. Awesome. But anyway, so getting back to this weekend that I had with my friends, the discussion came up about the podcast. And one of my girlfriends, who is a super fan, she is like, she's never listened to a podcast before ever, happened to see me (laughs) post it on my social. She's like, I didn't even know how to download a podcast. I didn't know. But I thought, okay, if Kim is doing this, I think I need to listen. And, and, And this is not the first person that has reached out to me. And she says, you are talking about everything I have experienced that I am questioning and she, and this is what it just gives me goosebumps to say this but she literally I thought she was going to cry she said Kim 
listening to your podcast makes me feel normal. I felt so abnormal. I didn't feel, I felt like I was the only one that was feeling this way. I had no idea that this is a thing and it is liberating. I feel so much better. I love listening to what you guys talk about. I am I am hooked. I can't wait for the next episode. So just know that uh, we're doing some good work here, and that just makes me so happy. It was the the goal and the reason why I you know decided that I would be a part of it. And uh, thanks to you, Dr. Jenny, for just being able to put it in terms that are not only understandable, but relatable. And uh, it's just been fantastic. So um, I just wanted to share that with you because, you know, and that's just one incident. There, there, is, there have been several more. And so, um, you know, good for us. You can give yourselves a round of applause, everybody. Great. That's great, great feedback. Isn't that fun? Point of this, right? Even if you touch only a handful of people, or multiple handfuls, or maybe a, a thousand downloads or more. You know, it's great. People are learning. Yep. So uh, today we're going to learn uh, something new, <laughs> like always. <laughs> Why don't you start us off, Dr. Jenny? Yeah, today's conversation is on non-monogamy, um, which has gotten a lot of traction and popularity in the past number of years, I'd say really in the past decade. And it's one of the ideas to, hmm, I don't want to say offset the monotony of monogamy because monogamy is really important for lots of people and it doesn't have to be monotonous. Um, I'm monogamous and I am very happily married. Um, and there's people who want to have an open relationship and that comes with a handful of different multiple choice items on how to do that. And what that could mean for you. Oftentimes people choose this for erotic um, stimulation. And then there's also a group, you know, under that open umbrella for polyamory that's more about that emotional um, intimacy and and having more people to love. Can, so, can you just define the two, like polyamory? There's more than just polyamory. So the most common popular terms that people might know about are swinging, which is a recreational sexual experience with another person or people, and polyamory, which is more of an emotional connection that may or may not include sex. But there's a lot more options under that umbrella, right? So swinging comes with its own caveat of soft swing and full swing, right? Soft swing, we might you might have your partner in the same hotel room that you're having sex with, but the other couple's having sex in the other bed. So you get to sort of be, you know, exhibitionist and voyeuristic at the same time, but you're not swapping partners. Full swing is more of a partner swap. Um, also under this umbrella are threesomes, right? So somebody might join a partnered relationship. A third person might join in. Um, there's also hot wifing and cuckolding um, where a woman will, you know, usually a married woman will seek a, a man and then the husband either watches um, her have sex with another man or is at home sort of knowing that that's happening. Um, some people will just go to um, clubs like there's one in Denver called Scarlet Ranch, these sort of like open clubs that are, you know, just fun sort of swinging type of clubs. And just being in that environment feels sexy. Kissing your partner in that environment while watching other people have sex is sexy. Um, maybe having sex with your own partner while other people are in this room can be sexy. Maybe swapping around kisses um, can be sexy. So, you know, I, whenever I'm I'm with clients or couples who are trying to explore this domain, we really talk about boundaries and going slow, like starting with just watching, observing, making friends, then maybe kissing. Don't just jump in and swap around with a partner if you've never done this. Um, <laughs> That'd be let's, awkward. Let's talk about pacing and boundaries <laughs> in a moment. Um, and then you have on the other side of the spectrum, uh, polyamory, where you might have a third person in a relationship and rather than it be like a recreational sexual experience, like a threesome, it's more of a relationship. I mean, it is a relationship, right? So you have this relationship with um, two people at the same time. Maybe there's a fourth person. Some people are a polypods where there's a whole pod of people that are in a relationship and fluid bonded. And what I mean by that is everyone sort of um, 
in their own little pod of people tested and 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 safe with their fluids, if you will, so that they can um, have sex of any kind with each other without having to worry about condoms or dental dams. Some polypods um, are not as closed, and so they do require condoms and dental dams and other ways to practice safe sex. So that's another conversation around opening a relationship is the safety of STIs and STDs. Um, yeah, so there's a whole gamut of options under the sun for people to kind of explore. You know, some people even think opening is just, you know, flirting with somebody else. It could be as as simple as that. Um, some people, you know, it, it can, the definitions range is what I'm trying to say. Savannah, did I leave out anything that maybe in your generation is popular? I don't think so. Um, I think I know a lot of people in my life who are poly. Um, I'm not so sure about the pods. I've heard of the term polycule, which is like partners of partners. Um, my friends don't do much switching of partners, but sh- like they date multiple people who know of each other and operate in the same circles. Um, so you're saying that that so if I know three people and I'm dating one of them, they might be dating somebody else, but we all know about it. Yeah. It's like very open emotionally and like there has to be very good communication between all parties. Um, but yeah, I don't I think that's pretty much as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And then there's lifestyle parties where you can go to a party and, and find like-minded people. Um, some people oh, yeah. be in that environment and it feels mm-hmm. erotic to just be at a party. And then yeah. again, talking about the boundaries of how far you want to potentially engage and play at a party or with another person and or couple or group. Wow. Yeah, I've been invited to quite a few sex parties in my time. <laughs> well, and I was going to ask you, Savannah, and we didn't really get in into um, you in terms of what your personal life is like and what you do for a living. Uh, why don't you go ahead and just enlighten us a little bit on, I would imagine that your career sort of expands that realm just a little bit more. Would Would you agree with that? Yeah, so I have been a stripper for, I think, five years almost now. Um, I also am a model. I've recently gotten more into nude modeling, Playboy-style kind of shoots. Um, Yeah, my work definitely brings me into contact with a lot of interesting and different lifestyles and people. Personally, I'm like a serial monogamous. I am flexible and you know we communicate and jealousy is not a super big issue in our relationship because we're very securely attached to one another um and there's a lot of trust between us but i don't see myself ever wanting to date like another person fully um so yeah i I just want to reflect you know this is the third episode we've had you on and the way you talk about your boyfriend savannah is lovely i mean it really sounds like a beautiful safe engaged relationship he's amazing he's the best person i've ever met he's my best friend i feel so blessed to have him in my life um yeah maybe one day we can have him on so you guys can meet him oh yeah that would be fun (laughs) why not um yeah i would have to agree with you savannah i've never been uh i I've, i've always enjoyed more of a monogamous relationship but you also have to understand that when when I was you know having a lot of sex that was when AIDS first really kind of came to light in the 80s right in the late 70s and and 80s and so everybody was terrified of having sex with each other (laughs) and so I think it became you became a little bit more grounded in yeah let's monogamy is probably a good thing and um also uh though i'm i've always been a huge flirt until i met my husband and i got older i don't really care about that anymore but my mom and my aunts huge flirts i mean they're really pretty women and so they get hit on all the time but i kind of that kind of opened my ears when you were talking about that dr jenny about how sometimes there is a I guess, an acceptance of, you know, flirting, not in just the, you know, fun little innocent way, but even going a little bit farther in in that 
manner and maybe there's a little bit more discussion or, you know, going just to the edge. I'm not quite sure how you define that, but that kind of was interesting. Every couple has their own unique contract, right? Like Savannah, for instance, works, you know, in the dance industry. And so her boyfriend obviously has to be secure that she's going to go off and flirt, you know, through through her body. Right. And, and that's, um, you know, it's great that he's super secure at that. A lot of men might not be. Um, they are not, so, trust me. Dating is hard out here for strippers. <laughs> oh, I bet. I, mean, I bet. Um, and so I think that every couple has to negotiate where their boundaries are and, and what cultivates jealousy. Um, but it really usually comes back to the person's sense of security or insecurity. It's when mm-hmm. we're insecure that we um, feel threatened when our, our partner flirts with someone else. But it also you have to ask yourself if I'm flirting from a place of professionalism, right, like Savannah, or if I'm flirting from a clean place just because I'm being friendly and charismatic um, and it's sort of a little bit of fun, arousing, erotic energy, but I'm not really crossing that line versus really crossing that line. And, and, and it's really just an energetic perception, right? Where you cross the line and it feels just not clean. Mm. Um, and, and it's just a perception. You, you kind of can just feel that. Um, so I, I don't think that I can even have really – more definitively define that. Um, but I've definitely felt flirting that felt innocuous and fun and sexy. And I like, it sort of fills up my cup and then I can bring it home to my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt flirting that felt like too much, cross the line, mm-hmm. you kind of feel energetically yuck. And then, and that doesn't even fill my cup. I just sort of get, I feel aversion. Yeah. So, you know, there, I think flirting can go in lots of directions with that. I have a hall pass. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) me too. But who's yours? Okay, so this is a funny story. So my hall pass is Gavin Rossdale, singer of Bush. Okay, just always had a big crush on him. I just think he's the sexiest guy ever. And at an event probably, gosh, maybe six years ago, I can't remember, at a radio station I worked in, he was performing. I didn't even know. But he was performing at this private event, literally like 100 people. And I didn't realize it. And I get to this event and I find out that it's Gavin Rossdale performing. And I literally lost my mind. And, I, and I'm and i like texting my husband, guess what? <laughs> my hall pass is literally sitting right in front of me. And, and he, you know, he's just kind of looking at me like, what are you talking about? I think he totally forgot, you know, that this was something that I brought up. Now, of course, I'm, you know, much older and this just is probably never going to happen. And I didn't really even want it to happen. I just thought it was funny that all of a sudden there's my hall pass. And um, I did end up talking to him and I ended up getting a nice picture with him and, and a selfie. And trust me, I hugged him tight. And then fast forward a few years later, he was actually a guest on a podcast that I produced. And so I got to talk to him again, and he remembered me, and he invited me. He He's a cook, right? He loves, he's a home chef. He goes, I'll fix you dinner. Come over. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, here's my chance again. I've had two chances with my hall pass now, and I've neglected to bring it to fruition yet. But it's fun. You know, for me, it was fun to be able to flirt back and forth and know that I can do this without getting in trouble or feeling weird about it was probably total stalker for him. Poor guy probably will never talk to me again, but you were probably not the first hall pass for this guy. Oh, I'm sure. But has a line of women who are like, Oh, "Oh." of course, of course. But it was very nice. It was very, I never did tell him he was my hall pass. I maybe I should have, but uh, that was fun. And, so so I totally experienced that permission, that kind of, you know, uh, contract that I had with my husband. Hey, if I ever run into this guy, sorry, it's going to happen, you know, kind of a thing. Um, and that was fun. That was fun for me. And it was fun for him. And you're right. You can bring that home and, and you're kind of, you know, wow, that was really cool. I feel really good about myself. I had a really good time. And come on, honey. Help me fantasize a little bit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
totally. That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's fun. The only time that's ever happened. I've not met my hall pass. Mine is Tay Diggs. Oh, I like that. He's cute. Mm-hmm. How about you, Savannah? I don't know if I have a hall pass. It's funny that you bring this up, actually. Um, we were at a concert for this band that I really love called Lake Street Dive um, last Friday, I believe. And I told, I've never seen them live, and I totally fell in love with the bassist. She, her stage presence is just so... I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And I just like leaned over to my boyfriend and I was like, can Bridget be my hall pass? And he was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I guess Bridget, the basis is my hall pass. It wasn't like she could just join. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't know if I would be open to that. Oh. I'm not super into the idea of sharing abstractly like if he's at a bar and he's out with his friends and he makes out with a girl I, that the thought of that doesn't bother me if he's flirting with people in front of me also doesn't really bother me he's a very charming person um but i think the thought of watching it happen in front of me would not feel sexy and yeah. like a fun time you know and i'm very much more of the mindset and maybe it's because of my job, maybe it's because of past relationships um, that I much more, I place higher value on emotional intimacy than I do sexual connection. Yeah, you're not, un- you're not alone in that. And this sort of brings us back to our original topic of these like open relationships versus monogamous relationships. And, you know, what you just said, Savannah, is why I think the masses practice monogamy. Serial monogamy. I mean, if we clinically define monogamy, it's mating for life, which some people do in terms of marrying and having sex only with the first person that they um, meet or marry. Um, But that's not usually the, the norm either. You know, the norm is we date a few people, you know, and then we partner, you know, we'd get into long term relationship or marriage. And and so serial monogamy is one person, drop them, next person, drop them. Um, so, you know, there's multiple people that we sort of experience, just not at the same time per se. But I think monogamy is a more popular relationship structure because of the emotional safety that it inherently or supposedly is supposed to cultivate. Well, and, and, and when you think about it in terms of religion, I mean, you know, you're supposed to have one partner and one partner only. Otherwise... You know, you're sinning if you stray from that relationship. So there's is that is that that big bad narrative coming back to bite us in the butt? That- no, no, that that is very true. That that's those are the roots of monogamy. They definitely you know come from a religious underpinning for sure. Um, absolutely, and and it's a, it, this has become a more popular relationship style for a lot of people. And it sounds like, particularly for people in your generation, Savannah. Yeah, definitely. So, so really, because I guess I would, well, let's see, if we go through generations, I mean, there was, you know, the 60s where everybody was just having fun with everybody, right? Yeah. And then, uh, but you're saying that Savannah's generation is probably more geared toward monogamy than our- no, no, no. Open towards open. Okay, that's I misunderstood. <laughs> I was gonna yeah, say, I wait a minute, that just sounds backwards to me. I would say the you know Savannah generation is the most open in terms of open relationships, followed then by my my generation, followed lastly by your generation, Kim. I mean, yeah. do you know? Do you have any friends that are open that admit to it? No, no, I don't know any that I. I mean. They might not talk about it, but I don't, I have not experienced it, no. Although, there, it's not a couple I know very well. But, you know, it was after the fact that I thought about, you know, I think that if given the opportunity, they would totally want to swap. You know what I mean? That, that, 
Yeah, you just kind of get that vibe sometimes that I have a feeling that, you know, you you don't, for me, it's like, it's not obvious for me because I'm not thinking, it's not in my mindset. So I'm just, you know, not thinking about it. But then after the fact, like when you hear other things, you're thinking, wow, that, that was probably what that was. (laughs) You know, maybe that's that vibe I was feeling and not really understanding what it was. Yeah. So maybe, but no, nobody that's ever admitted it or that I know of for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus Savannah, it sounds like you've had plenty of invitations. I've had plenty of invitations. I have people around me who are and share their dating life with me, which I find overwhelming. As a friend, you always want to amp your friend up like, oh, you're going on a date with this person, this person. And I'm just like, wait, is that this person or that person? Like, remind me again. I'm yeah. so lost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had my fair share of invitations and opportunities. And I experiment a bit. Uh, not in my current relationship because we're still pretty new. But both of us are open down the line to seeing where things go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Do you find that, that this... Uh, you know, that married couples engage in a lot of this um, uh, type of sex in terms of swinging or swapping and and um, uh, that kind of lifestyle after they've been married a while? Or is this something that they go into marriage knowing that this is where I want to go with it? It's a fantastic question. I'll tell you what I see clinically. Um because I get a lot of couples where they'll come in and it's, and, and typically keep in mind, because I do clinical sex therapy, I don't get the people who've navigated this just fine in their own, you know, relationship. I get the people who are struggling to figure this out. So all there's, there's sort of two different presentations um, and you sort of name both Kim. One presentation is the one person in the relationship feels like they're, their orientation has always been more open, but they've settled down because they want family, they want kids, they want sort of the, you know, the white picket fence dream, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and maybe they've sort of hinted or even said to their partner, I want this down the line. And then down the line, a decade later, they're like, by the way, remember when I said that? And how about we make good on this now? <laughs> mm. um, so then we have lots of conversations, um, depending on how the spouse, or, you know, feels about this this um, piece of information. The other way that I see it, and this is the dysfunction of it, in my opinion, which is one person is unhappy in the relationship for whatever reason. Either they're not getting enough sex or they're not getting their emotional needs met, whatever have you. And instead of cheating, which granted, I think this is better than cheating, mm. um, it's I want to open the relationship. And usually when they say that, it's a way to avoid working on the primary issue, mm-hmm. which still be there if you open the relationship. So I tell that to people. I'm like, you know, you can open this relationship, but I think you should do it after you work through the primary issue around what's driving you to open it. Because if it's coming from a really clean, clear place of just curiosity and erotic excitement, and, and that's a different that's a different locus in the body and psyche than I'm not getting a need met. So let me find somebody else to meet it, which, which is also fair on some level at some point too, right? If you fast forward to the generation that's not in the room with us right now, which is, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties. What I do get from some of my 80 year olds is one of them has severe Alzheimer's or dementia. Mm -hmm. They want, to have a relationship and it's like, well, that's tricky, right? Like, you know, you do deserve to have companionship emotionally and or sexually and you really don't have a partner that's there, right? Right. Um, So, you know. There is no mutual decision. Right. And then you have have the question, um, which could be a whole other episode around consent. Like, what does that, what is that actually when you have this sort of ambiguous, um, you know, if you have all your mental and physical capacities, it's pretty clear what consent is. If you don't, it's ambiguous. And that's a really hard line to figure out. Um, and so when somebody has Alzheimer's or dementia, that's it, hard to figure out. Yeah. Um, 
But these people are lonely. I mean, I have my eight-year-old men who are lonely and have been lonely for a long time because their wife is in a home with Alzheimer's or something, and they just want to have companionship. And so it's a a big conversation to have. Um, So I named that as like, yeah, at some point you also have to recognize that all your needs, you, you deserve to get all your needs met, but do it after you've tried to exhaust the primary relationship for those needs to get met. And ideally with make and, and ensuring that there's mutual consent to go outside the relationship to get them met, which again, with Alzheimer's and dementia, you can't totally do. But I say that with like, at least if there isn't that um, cognitive um, disability, then, then, the, 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 then I challenge the couple to really talk about like, okay, where are their fractures in the relationship before you just run and open? Yeah, George and I, when 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 we were, uh, you know, having some very serious sexual issues in the bedroom and he would just look at me and he goes, look, uh, you know, and I would joke at him. I'm like, look, you know, you need to go somewhere else because <laughs> I'm just not willing right now. He goes, really, you would actually you would actually be OK with that? And I'm like, no, I probably wouldn't be. And he goes, look, you're the only one I got. You know, and that he tells me that all the time. You're the only one I got, so we got to figure this out, kind of a thing. But I can see where, you know, even with couples who are not suffering from any kind of cognitive issue, would especially women. And this this is something a conversation that I definitely had with someone some time ago about how they just don't care about sex. You know, I don't care about sex anymore. So if he wants to go get sex somewhere else just to have sex, I don't care. So that's what you're talking about. There's a there's a problem. There's a fracture in there that needs to be at least, uh, you know, uh, talked about so that maybe I mean, look at what I've experienced just in in our conversations. It's like there is definitely, you know, a lot of things that are inhibiting your preference to not care about sex when you know if you look into that maybe you will feel like having sex sure and that's again every unique contract and sometimes the contract of a relationship is not so overt it's sort of this covert understanding where you know let's let's hypothesize it's a woman who's not interested in the sex and she's like well yeah my man visits the massage parlor or gets an escort once in a while when he's out of town. And I know that happens, but I don't really ask. And I just turn up my head to the side because he's getting his needs met and it keeps the homeostasis of the relationship. That's super common, especially the massage parlor with the happy endings. I mean, there's tons yeah. of those. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, but then what happens to that connection, you know? I mean. Yeah. Well, that's a bigger existential question around what's the depth of connection for most people. Are they challenging themselves to really have a deep, meaningful relationship? Or are we really just on autopilot on this planet? And I find that a lot of people are on autopilot. And when you challenge them to go deeper, there's so many really interesting layers to drop into. But those can Hmm. also be hard layers. So relationships often exist on that superficial autopilot. Interesting. Yeah, I think I would hold a lot of resent, a resentment, even if I said, yeah, you know, it's okay. I understand. And I don't really feel like having sex. But if by chance he did decide to, you know, go outside of our marriage, I I wouldn't blame him. But boy, I would have a lot of resentment and it would not help. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys seem to have a lot of depth. And and so when that's the case, it's it. You know, when you have a lot of depth, you have a lot of transparency, you you have a really strong foundational glue. So it's more alarming and surprising when that does happen. Mm, Yeah. But Savannah, you were going to jump in too. You both sort of jumped in at the same time. I'm curious what you were going to offer. Yeah, I always make a joke that part of my job is just a half-naked therapist. (laughs) You know, (laughs) a lot of the men that I see come in (laughs) struggle with either... The Madonna horror kind of complex that you guys covered mm. in a previous episode where their wives have had children and they're busy and like the intimacy just isn't there yeah. or they are feeling either unwanted or un 
I don't know the word I'm looking for, like undesired. Undesired. Every man wants to feel of service, I think, and like he's desired. And a lot of the guys that come in to see me specifically regularly don't want to step out on their marriages, but they want to have a young hot girl tell them how like attractive they are and how smart they are. And that just makes that, I don't know, it like scratches some itch so they, they like they can get in, like then go home to their wives and feel like they haven't done anything wrong. And I think it feels safer for men as well because it's so transactional. They don't have to lie to me. They can fully be themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, That's interesting. And yeah. a lot of the times, the majority of our talks are, it's a lot of the times in the private rooms, I'm not talking, I'm not dancing. I'm talking with them about their relationship with their wives and with their daughters. Yeah. And I send them on their way. That's That's sweet. I hear that too from a lot of men. They'll go, because, you know, it, they want a listening ear from someone who's willing to really give them that undivided attention and make them feel good in their own skin, right? Whatever that's masculine, whether that's sexy, whether that's handsome, whether that's smart, whether that's just desirable. And and I think that's the, I think it was Esther Perel who talked about affairs not really being so much about sex as it is about feeling wanted and desired. And when you check that box, it's like, yeah, I guess I could put my genitals there. But that's that's not even the point. Um, it's really like I just want to feel like I'm sexy in the world. And so I say that. So, you know, I, I use my own relationship as an example of um, when I was pregnant. I have two boys, um, six and eight. And when I was pregnant with both of them, uh, I did not have the f- – fortune of, of being very horny in that second trimester where everybody is, I had the fortune of being just nauseated and, and feeling terrible <laughs> and just not horny at all. Luckily, my husband was also not into pregnant bodies because <laughs> then I could be pregnant for most of our marriage and that wouldn't work. So we had no sex. And what we did instead, I would just make sure, because he is very handsome and he is very sexy to me, and I told him that. And I flirted with him and I still made him feel like he was my man because he is, even though we were not coming together in a genital way. And that was okay. He felt that from me and he's like, great, you know, box checked. (laughs) And so I share that as like, even if sex isn't happening as frequently, flirt. Challenge yourself to really make your partner feel like they are the one and only most awesome, sexy, desirable person on this planet. Because if you do so, you're going to get it back towards you probably and your relationship is going to thrive. Yeah. I wonder what uh, I just speaking from, you know, and we've talked about this before. There's also that like you don't want to cross that line because you don't feel like having sex either. So you hold back, you know, which was my problem, which I'm learning that isn't the case, you know? So you have to kind of cross over that awkwardness of, okay, how how far do I go before he's going to want to jump my bones? And I don't want that, you know? Right. How far can I flirt and smile and make you feel wanted? And, but, but, but don't, but don't jump on me. I just want to tell you this. Yeah. Right? Well, and you don't want to be that tease that there's an expectation that might follow, too. And I think we were having that issue where, you know, Savannah, this is a good question. So as somebody who, you know, is an exotic dancer and it sounds like you do private dances and um and I would imagine, like you said, you have regulars. So you you might be dancing for some the, a person multiple times, right? In different instances, they come back and and like you said, you're kind of that half naked therapist, right? So at, at what point? And I know there's a code, a, a, a where you know. I, I mean, I'm not for sure, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it, there's no touching. There's nothing like that, right? There's like a, a rule uh, when you're dancing for somebody that they can't go this far, right? How do you manage that when you're obviously being very sexual in terms of your dancing? How? Where does the line draw in terms of somebody wanting to go farther. I mean, you must have some kind of security there to make sure that doesn't happen. I've just been very curious about that. Yeah. Um, I will say 
I cannot speak for the majority of strippers in the country. I'm very fortunate to work at the club that I work at um, in San Francisco. We are a very high end club. We cater to very high end clientele. We have a lot of security. Our club is more of a lounge instead of what you think of kind of as a typical strip club, which is like in Vegas, you know, it's just like super party all the time, a lot of bottle service, a lot of money everywhere. Um, we don't do a lot of table dances, which is, you know, out in the open, you're sitting at a table downstairs. We don't do a lot of those. We are a very low contact club. So when I'm giving somebody a lap dance, you are not allowed to like touch my breasts. You're allowed to like touch my hips and my legs. Most guys come in with that understanding, at least for our club, and they sit on their hands. Oh, um, wow. That's interesting. I yeah, know we, that. yeah. California, I appreciate uh, with clubs that serve alcohol, they have a lot of very strict regulations on what people can and cannot do to protect the women. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely have men who want more. You know, I, if I made a dollar every time I went to work and a guy was like, come back to my hotel, I'd love to see you outside of here, I would be a millionaire. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think there's just that understanding. Um, again, I'll speak for myself. I make my boundaries very clear. As soon as we sit down for the lap dance, I'll be like, hey, babe, you can touch me here. You can't touch me here. This is what I like. This is the type of touch that I don't like. Like, don't spank me. Don't put your hands on my face. Don't touch my hair. Um, I don't like pain. You know, some guys are really rough and like, that's how they think that a woman likes to be touched. And so I set very clear expectations very early on. Um, and obviously working at a club, you're going to be having sexual conversations. Some men come in like wanting to know what you like and what you don't like. So I think it's a lot of verbal communication on top of the security, especially in the private rooms, you know, there's nobody in there, just the two of you. Uh, oh, really? So not even security or anything? Security is not in the room, but we have a VIP host who walks around and makes sure everything's okay. You know, if you yell, someone's going to come running. A lot gotcha. of the doors are glass, so you can kind of see through them. They're tinted a little bit for a little bit of privacy. Waitresses are running in and out. Um, other girls are running around, you know, it's, it's, it's a very safe space. Not that, um, discrepancies do not happen. Uh, but it's, they do their best. I also think that, I mean, I'm five, nine without my heels. So when I put on a six inch heel, I tower above most men and my demeanor <laughs> is very strong. I think I kind of intimidate a lot of men to not really want to mess with me. Um, but yeah, I definitely have the issue of people, wanting more and the answer is just you say no and there are ways to do it and kind of be like oh baby like i can't ha 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 i have to go home and feed my dog like to keep them coming back but at the end of the day you just say no and i think if a person doesn't have strip club experience they might assume things about dancers that are not true um but after a certain amount of time spent in the space they kind of understand more what the experience has to offer and have less expectation to come you know do they know that you're in a relationship some do some don't all my regulars do i'm very honest with them i find that my most long-term and most generous regulars like to come see me because the authenticity of our relationship and some don't, you know, if it's just a guy getting a VIP dance instead of regularly getting private rooms with me or he's from out of town, it's like, no, I'm single. Like, huh, like you're so hot. Maybe I'll be your like girlfriend. I don't know. So it really just kind of depends. This has been a really interesting conversation. I want to talk more about this out of the box uh, type uh, sexual relationships and maybe we can get a little bit more into that, um, Dr. Jenny. Uh, but first, got to thank our sponsor, Adam and Eve. Such a great resource for any adult products. They're uh, great for couples, fun games, sensual candles. Um, <laughs> my husband admitted to me 
<laughs> this is so funny that he was on there and um, he uh, he bought something. Oh. Yeah. It was one of the things that Savannah was talking about, I think, in the first Permission for Pleasure. And it wasn't the pillow. Anyway, (laughs) that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But they've got all kinds of fun games, sensual candles, romance kits, super cute lingerie, too. And uh, pretty much anything that you can think of, no matter of uh, your level of play that you're into. Go to adamandeve.com, use code MODERN, get 50% off almost any one item, plus those 10 free gifts, free shipping. And they must be doing something right with uh, the last 50 years. They've been in business with uh, more than 20 million customers worldwide. And just for you, uh, Modern Pleasure Podcast listener, you can join that fun by saving some money as well. Use code MODERN at checkout, adamandeve.com. And uh, let's see, maybe send your husband over. I didn't even send him. I was just cracking up when he told me that today. He said, um, you're going to have something coming in the mail here pretty soon in a very discreet package. <laughs> like It is discreet. I, and and I, it's, it's, it's an advantage that it's so discreet because it doesn't even say Adam and Eve on the box. Um, so it's a very, very private, discreet package. However, it's so discreet that my kids know that they usually can open my mail. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> They're like, "Mom got a box, slice open." I'm like, "Hold on, we're gonna have to." Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Luckily, I don't have that issue. I don't have kids in the house anymore, so it's just me. But I can't wait. I, I honestly, I, I think this is more for him. But you know, who knows? Based on Savannah's review, I think it's going to be good for both of us, and I will let you know. How that works once we get it. Anyway, adamandeve.com, get that 50% off. Use code word modern on almost any one item. And and when George was in there, he was looking at it. And and he said there's quite a few items there that you can get that discount on. So go have some fun with that. So back to our conversation, um, we kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the the different um, types of relationships in this realm that we're covering. How far outside the box are we willing to go in this discussion? I'd like to to know more, Dr. Jenny. I mean, you, you, what other relationships have we not covered here? Um, I, th- I think some of the more unique out-of-the-box out relationships, I sort of mentioned one last time um, with our BDSM kink, uh, episode is sort of the master slave or mistress slave relationship, which some people will do for a portion of the day, and some people do twenty four hours a day. Wow! With some breaks um, and some without breaks. And what's interesting is sometimes even you know I, I met I met a dominatrix who had her own dungeon, and she had three <laughs> male slaves. Wow! Three Signed, three. All married men. No kidding. Her slave. And it was, um, and they would go to her dungeon for just to be a sub. But because they were her, her, her 24 hour slave, if she needed a coffee or a massage, a foot massage, she could just call any one of them up at any point in time. Having three, if one was out busy at work, she could go to number two or three. So she had to- okay, wait, 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 wait a minute. I need to wrap my head around this. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so she she calls, she has three. Yeah. And she has a dungeon. But yeah. they're not all three sitting in the dungeon waiting for her to no. call and bring, them, bring her what coffee. <laughs> yeah, it just means that like mistress or master, depending on the sex gender of the dom person, if you're in this dynamic, right? Living in this dynamic can be really erotic for somebody who's really invested in that lifestyle. And it doesn't mean that you're like at their beck and call. You're, you're not sitting hovering at their feet all day long, right? You go about your day, you go to work, you do the, your thing, but you just sort of know you're in this dynamic. So there's sort of this in the background running is the this relationship dynamic. And at any point in time in the day, um, 
you know, somebody could, the mister, the mistress or master could call their quote unquote slave and just, you know, demand something or ask for something. But because it's a relationship dynamic, they usually, you know, it's within, it's within, um, it's never usually abused. Let me put it that way. Um, and there's a safe word, right? For those relationships too. It's like, this is an impossibility. There's a safe word. Um, so that's sort of a more, uh, extreme and I say the word extreme not with like a ton of uh, negativity into it just more of an extreme version of that dynamic um but then you can just have that dynamic happen in a dungeon so you know you'll have somebody come into a dungeon and the dungeons are typically run by women it's usually dominatrixes and um and sometimes I just have a private practice kind of dungeon and sometimes they're in a location um Hmm. like a structured building and you know, and, and typically, typically it's high powered men um, who want to just submit and and let go and, um, you know, just, you know, be in that submissive position. Now, in this, Savannah, in, go ahead, Jim. in yeah. this situation that you because you said you knew this woman, were these men you said they were married? Did their wives know about it or is this a secret thing for them? So one wife knew. And she's fine with it. And two wives did not. Oh, man. Yeah, boy. To find yep. that out. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Well, I mean. In <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to say, yeah. right? I mean, there's a lot. I mean, it's it's big. It's big and wide. Um, people don't trust that if they name their needs, they'll get it met in their primary relationship. And so they go outside, especially if they're, if their erotic interests. So, you know, if your erotic interest seems to not fit in that vanilla box, right? If your erotic interest is more unconventional, it may be really scary and vulnerable to name that in your primary relationship. And there might be a lack of trust that if you name it, the, your spouse will stay with you. And so this is where you'll find people just going outside to find those erotic needs and, and, and try to seek them and get them met. Um, you know, that said, for instance, I, I'm a fan of trying again to get it met in the relationship and be creative. I had a woman once who really liked feet. I wouldn't call it a feet fetish in terms of he was able to get aroused without feet, but it was really a strong preference. And so, you know, borderline fetish. Um, and he didn't want to tell his wife and he was married for like 30 years. And so we said, well, I said to him, well, why don't you um, just tell her you want to give her a massage in the bathtub and then move your way to her feet and then just start complimenting her feet and putting oil and bath salts on her feet and just really like worshiping her feet and see how she feels. And you don't have to tell her you've got this whole thing going for yourself. Just do it and weave it into your foreplay and see how it goes. It went fabulously. Oh, wow. Interesting. life now. And that's that. And he was so, able to to fulfill his fetish, his feet fetish. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. yeah. I, I've never understood that either. You know, uh, fetishes, um, and and how those things happen, or or how you how something. I, I could see feet. You know, I, I had a hand thing. That's how I met my husband. I I've got, I love. You know, um, I love hands like good hands like I'm very attracted to very nice hands and my husband had some very nice hands um so I mean there's that and at the at the other side of it is like if anybody's got really ugly hands or ugly feet no it's a deal breaker for me right so I guess it would be both sides maybe right so fetishes can we dive into this just a little bit since you brought it up how does that play into an out-of-the-box sort of sexual relationship? So if, if, it's, if a person has a fetish, they, they basically the, the, the difference between a fetish and a preference is that a preference is I really love this to be available for arousal and orgasm, but it's not 100% required. A fetish is 100% required. Right. So if a person has a foot fetish, there has to be some experience of feet to, de- to develop arousal and or orgasm. 
So when a person has a fetish like that, and it could be a breast fetish, it could be a butt fetish, it could be a foot fetish, it could be, um, it, it could be, you know, a, a, a lots of other things that that are under the sun, um, not non, um, you know, objects that don't have a pulse, for instance, you know, sort of um, symbolic objects. So when you have a fetish like that, um, and oftentimes it's parts of the body that are fetishized. Um, they just have to be included for arousal and orgasm, but it makes it makes the relationship a little bit more rigid, right? Because you don't have the flexibility to not have that said item part of the dynamic. It's so, almost like know, a compul- obsessive compulsive thing. Yeah, I would say if you wanted to give it more of a clinical diagnosis, there was you could throw that out there. Um, so there is sort of an obsession component in it. Um, yeah. Um, and so, so how you weave the fetish into your erotic play becomes the question for the relationship. And can you fantasize about it to help yourself get to arousal and orgasm or do you need it? Like Savannah, you're saying you knew a guy or you dated a guy with a cigarette fetish. How did that play out for you? Well, we're not together. Um, he, <laughs> I, I would be open to that kind of thing. I think what's hard about it is that it was so objectifying. It was like, he was getting off to the cigarette and not necessarily anything to do with me. Can you elaborate? Cause yeah, I sure. can't even put so, this in my head. He would only... He would become aroused, but he would only want to have sex and be able to reach completion during sex if I was actively smoking a cigarette. And it didn't do any good to have it lit near us so he could smell it. It didn't do any good for me to fake it. Like, there was something about watching the inhalation and the exhalation on top of I think maybe knowing that it's not great for your health, that really got him off. That is... And that was the only thing that could get him off. And it was actually, it was very detrimental to our relationship because I'm not a smoker. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was something he really struggled with. He had a lot of shame around it. He felt really bad. And, you know, huh. I was like open and willing to try it. He never explicitly asked me or like put pressure on me to do it, but You know, I was with somebody that I was attracted to. I want to have sex with him. So let me try to do what I can to get him there. And it just didn't really work out. So, wow. It's, it's too rigid of a, of a, you know, the relationship that's, that's the thing with this. Like if it's too rigid of an ask and and it's too, you know, and the other partner cannot fulfill that unconventional turn on, then it really, you know, challenges the relationship. In which case, you know, what I'll say to the person at the fetish is, are you willing to look at the origins of this, not because we're trying to remove this from your erotic template, but because we want to try to broaden your erotic template so that you can actually stay sustainably in the relationship. You know, if we move it from fetish to preference, or if we, you know, allow for some flexibility with it, at least to have it as a, as a fantasy at least it exists as a fantasy rather than in reality, then, then we can, we might still be able to play with this, Um, you know? And so it's just, it's, it's also finding out where that comes from. I don't even know if I should bring this up. Animals. There was something I came across and I was like, okay, I don't even know if I want to go here, but I think you kind of brought it up a little bit in one of our last episodes. And so that's why I was like, what is this? There's a whole zoo community, and 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 zoophilia or bestiality. Bestiality, that's what it was. Yeah, a little bit outdated. Zoo, the zoo community is a little more popular now. Terms change, right? Um, but yeah, that's love of animals, and um, you could almost call that a different type of open relationship. Actually, to weave this full circle, um, and most people who have an animal love their animal. Um, this is sort of what happens in this love of an animal is there's also the, the love is extended through sex 
and through eroticism. So the zoo community, um, it's not just a recreational, I want to have sex with my animal. It's I love deeply my animal and I want to um, have sex with the animal in some capacity. Some people in the zoo community marry their animals. I, you know, I used to do trainings for a sex therapist and we would show videos of this. And one gentleman married his horse, for instance. Another couple would have a threesome with their dog, for instance. I mean, these are not, this is not your typical um, person, but it exists. And um, I think the big thing there, again, is just the ambiguity of consent, right? But you have to think about like, you know, if the animal loves you back, it's hard to, it's, you know, the, it, I don't, I don't have a lot of judgment on this, to be honest, because the animal usually loves you back. Could you argue that there's Pavlovian conditioning, you've conditioned the animal to um, reciprocate a sexual dynamic with you? Sure. Um, but unless you really see the animal struggling or suffering, um, the consent's ambiguous and it's up to the person to decide if that's a yes um, on part of all parties participating. Um, other people would argue against me and say I'm crazy to say that, but you know, I, I have had clients in the zoo community and the love of these animals is strong. Well, I mean, I love my dog and I love my horse and, and all this, but I can't imagine, of course, I'm obviously I can't imagine going that far yeah. Is there is what is the reasoning other than just this deep sense of love? I mean, having or incorporating your animal into sex seems a little mentally off to me. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. It's just I would imagine cross species sex is pretty rare. So this is not a huge community. I'll say that. Um, but it's not that dissimilar. in like the so as human beings, we're oriented towards pleasure. Sometimes that those pleasure wirings get crossed with pain, right? So then we have more of those um, intense BDSM experiences, for instance, where the pain threshold is super high. Um, but that, but that, because it's it, it, the wiring is crossed with pleasure, it's actually experienced as a form of pleasure. Um, I think there's a wiring piece there too with animals where the cross species sex. Um, gets, you know, there, there's a little bit of a wiring piece that um, creates that permission template. And also, you know, the I haven't looked more deeply into these studies, and I do have a colleague who has studied this exhaustively. Um, but what I remember when I was studying this early in grad school days was that um, a lot of kids, um, especially in rural areas on farms, will have their first sexual experience with an animal because it's a rural area. Interesting. Um, they're curious about their sexuality. There's no one there telling them telling them that it's wrong. Right. Um, they're sitting on the couch eating whatever, watching TV with their legs spread because it's casual, and the dog comes up and licks them. And it's at that moment of puberty, right? When, mm. when our sex hormones are developing, you have to ask yourself, what's happening in our sexual template, right? What's happening for the cigarette guy that you dated, Savannah? Like he was probably watching a bunch of movies where the the women smoking the cigarettes was super sexy when he was 13 going through puberty and that got lodged into his brain as a thing. So, you know, I think puberty is a really monumental time of when we experience um, our sexuality and the wirings of our eroticism get developed. Hmm. Uh, and so that's, you know, again, you, you come back to those pieces of you, those experiences, but, you know, we don't have that, that many rural areas off the grid anymore. Right. So right, that's, right. is not that large per se, but that's an interesting, uh, I mean, uh, that makes more sense to me now. It's like, because you always wondered, how does that happen? But now I can totally, I can see that. That's that's very interesting. Anyway, I I wanted to kind of cover the gamut here. I think, you know, um, what we're hoping is that any questions that may be coming up in somebody's mind is something that we're talking about. And if we're going to go there, then let's go there. Um I appreciate both of you. I know, Dr. Jenny, you've got a lot going on today, so we're going to wrap this up. But one last thing, Savannah, is there anything else you want to add to this conversation? Sorry, we lost your camera there for a minute. 
you were upside yeah, down. Yeah, going on with my uh, technology <laughs> today. Um, I'm actually going to have to bite my tongue on this one. I am an animal rights activist and I've been vegan for nine years, so I'm not going to even <laughs> touch this one. <laughs> no, don't feel bad about that, Savannah. Look, when I do these trainings, I will say that 97% of the therapists in the room that is an edge for them. They cannot work with this population. They would not be able to tolerate navigating the nuances and the ambiguity of consent with with somebody like this. Um, they usually send these people to me because uh, I, I don't know, I find it interesting. But I completely appreciate that the consent is so ambiguous and difficult to decide and decipher. And in cross species, sex is really rare. You don't, you know, it's it's a rare thing. I mean, sometimes you see in the animal kingdom where one species rapes another species, um, but not typically. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. It's well, actually we- interesting to me because I don't know if we have time to get into this, but the animals that have sex for pleasure are usually the ones who do that, like dolphins and otters have sex for pleasure and they've been the ones that will like rape other animals. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that it's like humans and like monkeys do that as well. But when animals rape, and and here's the thing, like you really have to unpack this for a moment. I don't think a dolphin is raping another animal species from a place where we we think of the word rape with all this context of um, power and yuck and, and power over someone, right? You know, I don't know what goes through the brain of the animal except, oh, opportunity maybe an orgasm with somebody else for something else right like it could be as simple as that i don't i don't know i i'm not as i'm not as well just so well yeah. well there we go that was a, a <laughs> I mean, covered the, so glad i brought this subject up out of the box <laughs> Well, that's what this episode is called. So, and we definitely went there. Uh, Again, thanks for listening. Uh, Make sure you head over to adamandeve.com. Use code word modern. Get 50% off almost any one item. A bunch of really cool free gifts. At least 10 of them. And uh, also free shipping. And um, I really appreciate uh, everybody's time today. All right, Dr. Jenny, Savannah. Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.